Welcome to The Razor's Edge, where vision, technology, business, and strategy come together. This podcast series examines IT's new way to provide world-class experiences and is brought to you by CIO.com in partnership with HP. In this series, HP's technology experts will provide you with unique insights into the challenges associated with digital transformation and how innovative cloud-based services, solutions, and software can help you plan and prepare for what lies ahead. And now your host, Leif Olson, Distinguished Technologist with HP. Hello, and welcome back to The Razor's Edge, where vision, technology, business, and strategy come together. With me today are my usual cast of characters, Bruce Michelson, Distinguished Technologist Emeritus and the owner of Closed Loop LLC. Jeff Malik, the lifecycle planning subject matter expert at HP, Cody Gerhardt, a distinguished technologist and chief technologist with HP, and I'm your host, Leif Olson. Today on the podcast, we're going to discuss the concept of bring your own device or choose your own device, uh, more commonly referred to as BYOD or CYOD when it comes to hardware for end users. Just a reminder on this, many of us in this podcast do work for HP. I want to get this out there because there might be the perception that we're talking about this topic just because we're worried about losing business in our commercial product line. That's not it at all. We have tons of consumer stuff and commercial PCs. So selling for products for us really isn't a question, regardless of whether a company chooses BYOD or a standardized commercial platform. So just wanted to get that out there um, and make sure everybody understands this has nothing to do with sales of systems. This is a real topic that we see daily in the industry. And it's not a new concept. It was first introduced, at least to my recollection, back in about 2005. This was an era where cell phones were becoming more common and finally had persistent storage and PDAs or personal data assistance. Think smartphones. But for some of the first iterations, for all you millennials and Gen Zs out there that might not have been on board yet, uh, were coming, becoming all the rage from companies like Palm with the Treo. Some companies at that point decided that it might be good to look at the PC in the same way and maybe just give their employees a stipend to go and purchase a device at their local electronics store and just connect it to the network and handle all the maintenance themselves as end users. This concept quickly fell apart as the operating system version of that era, which would have been XP, was kind of hard to find pre-installed on these consumer systems as XP Pro. That meant a lot of extra work had to be done by IT anyway, even though they were bringing their own device. So it pretty much failed miserably right away. As we fast forward about eight years, it started popping up again as another option for managed IT. The iPad was a huge part of this because more people had devices that were highly mobile and connect to Citrix or VMware instances to get their applications. But again, this really fell apart pretty quickly as users realized that iPads weren't really uh, productivity devices that they're much more consumption devices. So there were also attempts with the PC again at this point, but for the most part, they also failed for many of the reasons we're going to talk about today and why yet again in 2022, BYOD is likely going to fail again or not. We'll discuss all of that, uh, but it's for the third time in the past 20 years. So first off, let me start off with some of the perceived positive myths out there about BYOD. So the first myth is that it costs less than a corporate owned PC. So that retail price may look cheaper, but we'll discuss why it actually isn't. Second, it's going to happen anyway. IT can't fight the trend. Third, it's already happening. 
Fourth, it enables me to exit lifecycle management for my corporate users. Fifth, it improves end user satisfaction. This one's actually a huge myth that we're going to spend some time on. Sixth, it, that it reduces help desk calls. Seven, it has the support of leadership. Number eight is that it had that other businesses are doing it. Number nine, it reduces my risk. This is a huge no-no, and we'll cover that in detail. And then 10, it's just like cell phones. So it, it actually proves out that none of these are actually true, that they are really myths about it being a good reason. But let's go ahead and start with you, Bruce, today. If you could, let's kind of cover some of the topics that are driving this interest again uh, and bringing it back to the industry. Yeah, uh, thanks, Leif. And as always, uh, thank uh, you and the teammates for uh, the participation in your program here. Appreciate that. So again, uh, just using the uh, top 10 approach, um, there's there's trends going on right now in the marketplace that uh, it's almost history repeating itself a little bit. Uh, the first is the parallel thinking. Everyone's thinking, hey, we're already doing BYO for cell phones. Why aren't we doing it on PCs? There's also a perception that modern management is a great enabler. Uh, if I'm going to start dealing with the cloud, I can be supplier agnostic, device agnostic, and so on. And that's the pervasive belief at this moment in time. That's why I believe we keep seeing this come up. There's also a, a, an HR impact uh, to be aware of that uh, it's not uh, HR, it's not a corporate-owned device. Therefore, the way uh, you start to see this framed is that it's my device, all I'm doing is accessing some information. The change in demographics right now are really an area that's going to be driving BYOD, or at least the thought behind BYOD. Right now, millennials and Gen Z represent collectively about 25% of the market, depending upon, or the workforce, depending upon uh, which industry you're in. By 2030, by the way, they will be 50 to 60% of the overall workforce. So a lot of the behaviors and uh, desires by that generation are going to be reflected in a lot of uh, BYOD device discussions that are going on. Um, as uh, the installed base of devices begins to age beyond 36 months, BYOD is raising its head, particularly because during the pandemic, a lot of organizations extended the useful life of devices. So now you're comparing a shiny new consumer device potentially to a five-year-old uh, clamshell notebook. Uh, and, and that's why we're seeing that dynamic. And the work from home, Laptop is growing exponentially over other form factors within there. The other interesting thing driving it is that the education sector uh, has seemed to embrace the concept of BYOD, having students brought in their own devices. And again, the whole idea behind this next move, if you will, that I'm seeing towards uh, BYOD is really the idea that cloud and virtualization are containerizing content to the point where it doesn't really matter what the device is. And a lot of businesses will probably look at this once again, given the tight economy that we're in and the recession, as I like to say in, in the white papers with Jeff, that now officially over, uh, what we're really looking at are budgets are very constrained right now with a lot of competition for it. And it's already, um, if you look at the executives uh, in an organization, executives quite often have the ability to get whatever device they want. They probably have a device ratio two or three to, to one. And then to your point about all of those myths, we can take it serially. But the general belief is, hey, if I'm not buying the product, uh, overall it costs less. Eh, wrong answer. Actually, BYOD in most instances actually cost more. 
So if that's a, a quick synopsis of it, I'll throw it back to you for further thoughts. Yeah. So really quickly on the belief that it costs less peace, just because I want to kind of highlight that because, you know, I can go down to, and I'm just going to use Best Buy because it's my local electronic store here in Southern California, but any computer store that's out there. And, you know, I see a really attractive retail price or I look online to a HP website, for instance, and I see a price and it appears to be less than a commercial system if I'm a finance person, but finance people don't necessarily see all the operational stuff behind it to get this unknown in their environment. What are some of those costs and how do people highlight them so that they don't have a conflict with their finance procurement departments when they're looking at just raw cost of the PC, not understanding the whole story? Yeah, it's actually a, a perfect setup, but what the TCO tools and practices taught the industry is that product acquisition price is not more than 10% of the overall cost of ownership. The rest of the cost of ownership is really tied up into software, uh, direct support, uh, mobility, uh, infrastructure, service desk. Uh, I could go on, but the whole point is that it's easy to focus on the product because it's tangible. Uh, You can put your arms around it, you can touch it, it's visible, and it's the easiest vector to control. The other vectors, which are all services driven for the most part, are intangible, but that's where the real cost effectivity comes into play in all things life cycle. Okay, good deal. And so, Jeff, I'm actually going to call you in on this one. As the life cycle subject matter expert here, what kind of pitfalls can show themselves around BYOD regarding life cycles compared to truly managing a life cycle from the commercial standpoint? The big three things I sort of think about is security, manageability, and then licensing. And we'll go sort of in reverse order. The, the big thing is that if you're going to have your users go out and get a consumer device, you even said in you know, the opening of the show, it's difficult to find a PC with Windows Pro license already on there. And in order to manage the device properly, you need Windows Pro. Otherwise, your tools don't work. The other thing that you've got to think about in these consumer devices is design. They're not made Uh, to be taken for granted, I guess, in the commercial space is how you want to think about it. They're made to be carried from the living room to the bedroom to the kitchen. They're not made to be put on on the road and bump around in planes or or, or in the back of a car as they're trolling down from appointment to appointment. So the durability is much lower on a consumer device. And the third thing's around security. And you think about it, TPM is a relatively new phenomenon in consumer devices. And most really good commercial devices have TPM in one form or another. And that's the secret treasure box that's locked in on the motherboard that holds all the secrets to that PC, including your keys, your hash, everything that you need to manage it. So across those three things, it's very difficult to manage your consumer device versus a commercial device. So then you have to, as an IT IT person, you have to start thinking about what other tools do I need to, to, to go deeper and make sure I have control over that device to keep my own corporate data secured and all the PII of my customers secured so that it doesn't get loose. A lot of concerns around that piece. And then, you know, you wrap it around, there's a, a, a less price or a lower price on the consumer model, but there's a reason that consumer de- our commercial devices are more expensive and it's across those three things. Yeah. And so as far as time to live for those devices, you know, a lot of people talk that the average uh, PC for an end user in a corporation is three years. Just that's just the general statement. It rarely happens, but that's what a lot of people say. And so if we were to look at a BYOD scenario, 
would the expectation to be also replaced at three years or because they are devices that are not necessarily designed to last as long on eight hours a day, five days a week, like commercial platforms are, um, would the expectation be to replace it more often? Well, the expectation would be that they would keep it for that period of time. The reality is very different, right? If I peel the unicorn sticker off the back of my PC here, you'll see that the, you know, the backing's coming off and the keys are wearing off just where I type. So they're not made for eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, bless your heart, some of the people listening to this today, a day in and out, in and out. They're meant to come in, watch a YouTube video, answer some emails, post some things on Twitter. They're not made for that day, you know, day in, day out work. Okay. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so financially, you know, you may end up replacing the thing because warranty is another cost on this life cycle piece, right? You may end up replacing this thing maybe twice in a three-year cycle because warranties on consumer PCs, correct me if I'm wrong here, but typically are 90 days unless you pay some uplift and pay some squad somewhere to uh, do some extra maintenance on things. They vary, but when you look at extended warranties, typically you'll see a consumer warranty is a little more expensive. One, because you're not buying in quantity, so you get a discount as a commercial entity for buying in quantity. But two, you're absolutely right about the expectation of the life cycle. So if folks think that it, and it's designed for a lower life cycle or a smaller life cycle, the warranty is going to be a little more expensive because there's an expectation you're going to have to do some replacement of parts in year two or even at the end of year one. Yeah, makes sense. So, Cody, as far as software on the, during this life cycle, thinking about deployment, you know, we all use common tools like Intune or Workspace One today in modern management. I'm not even going to get into the nightmare of trying to get the hash, assuming you have the right OS on this box that some consumer just bought from the local electronics store up into Azure. But beyond that, even maintaining that software suite on the endpoint itself, what kind of impact is there on that life cycle? I think there's a multiple multiple impacts, and I think too, you know, we're, we're talking about bring your own device. So, depending on the device of choice that the individual purchases, your software could could vary greatly, right? Um, and so, it comes down to who manages the software, who keeps the software up to date, what software could co-mingle on that platform, right? Uh, you could have the ability the user may buy a gaming platform and may play games on there as well, and that which could cause issues with maybe some of the commercial product products and software that may be run so that the user can act, do their job, right? So there's also conflicts, things that we in the commercial world look at as part of an everyday implementation plan about you know, software working with software, which seems simple in the aspect of, okay, it should just install and work, but it's really not, right? There are a lot of softwares that can uh, conflict with each other and cause challenges. And then it, you know, the who, who keeps it up to date, who manages it, who manages it, um, and then there's the data, right? Uh, who owns the data for everything that's on that platform, um, and how do you how do you separate um, the traditional life versus the work life on a PC that's not owned by the company? And I think that's another big platform that we have to you have to consider. Yeah, absolutely. So it really sounds like with BYOD, then the life cycle kind of, although from the corporate standpoint, has an expectation, it actually becomes non-existent because you can't forecast cost because who knows what the performance of those systems are going to be because this, the user, the actual person buying the thing that they're bringing, unless you give them a list of models to choose from and that breaks BYOD in itself, they may not choose a platform that is capable of running everything that they need for work 
And then, as you said, the software compatibility side, libraries that are shared, the .NET framework, the, that nightmare that never dies, um, that whole thing and integration between software uh, that's installed on these systems can cause their own conflicts and unknown performance issues. So the other side of this is the personal data on the system. So um, someone want to jump in here and address how does that personal data get impacted? Because I've got my checking account, because let's say I'm running, I don't know, QuickBooks or something like that for a personal thing on this PC. And you tell me as the corporation that you now need to wipe my device because I'm leaving the company. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you just said, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I was, was going to say, even if it's lost, you know, there's a, there's an issue where the software that's configured in the MDM, the, the mobile device management software, will try to erase everything that is in the c- commercial domain, but it's hard to delineate across personal and, uh, and consumer data on those devices. And many times what happens, you just blow up the system, right? You just wipe it out completely. And if you're not backed up using a service like OneDrive, for instance, all that, the pictures and all the emails and all the tax returns, those are gone forever. And then from a legal perspective, what's, what kind of a boat have you gotten the company into by disrupting this personal data that the user had? It's a very sticky swamp that you're wading through in this case. For those of you who are of age and remember the uh, original Star Trek, the episode with the binars, I believe this is really a binary decision. BYOD says it's your device, not mine. The moment as a company, I started asserting any control any governance, any direction over your personal device, that device is now a choose-your-own-device because I haven't given up the authority to manage that device. The moment I step over that line, as Jeff uh, indicated, um, that means that I'm now accountable. I'm responsible. I have a level of ownership and responsibility in that. And and, and, uh, Cody, let me just ask you another question around who owns the data. Given the context that I just described, um, what's your position around the data that resides on a BYOD device that uh, somebody loses in a taxi cab or something like that? What are your thoughts? <laughs> that's that's the that's the same challenge we have when you hear about self-driving cars, right? Right, Bruce. Who who takes yeah. completely accident? The manufacturer or the or the person you know that owns the car? And I think that's the same concept. I mean, depending on what the individual's job role is, the HR, medical, whatever. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's their device. So hypothetically, it's the, the data responsibility is theirs. But when you look at corporate responsibility, it's the corporate company's responsibility to protect any and all data, right? You'll see that almost every compliance website that, you know, most companies abide by. So I think it's both, right? In, in some ways, one, you know, there, you have to set responsibility and it goes back to what Jeff said, you know, if you can't encrypt the box, then it's, a, it's native live data. But two, there's a mesh of data. Uh, that you have to be worried about as well. Like if it's HR data and, you know, your personal finances and then maybe medical data for the company you work for, there's a lot of areas that based on regulations, um, the company would be responsible for protecting the data, but also the user is responsible for protecting their device. So that, I don't, I don't, that's something, yeah, it's a tough one to answer, but it, like, it goes back to, you know, who really, I think it depends on what the data is. Um, and, you know, what regulation? Yeah, see, I'm kind of on a different page. God forbid I should be a doctor. And on my PC, <laughs> yeah, I know it. Okay, everybody laugh accordingly. Um, so let's say I'm a doctor. If you find out my PC is from a doctor, what is on my PC if it's a BYOD device? Probably other doctors, other contact information. More than likely, I've got my patient's address and phone numbers on there. 
So very innocently, I might not think of that as a security or HIPAA violation or a regulatory issue at all, but it's just uncomfortable because it's my device and I don't want anybody telling me what I can't and cannot have on that. But again, that shows you how sophisticated it is. BYOD is driving a stake in the ground and saying, as a business, it's yours, not mine. So don't pretend like you have any authority to tell me what to do with my system. I'll give you another example. Jeff, I'll, I'll throw this one to you. Is if, if I have my identity stolen and I work for Jeff Malik Industries, am I obliged to tell you that my identity was stolen given all the implications on you know uh, PC security apps and so on? Yeah, I don't think that's been tested in court yet, but I'm sure it's coming and that's going to make it all through the, the courts. That's a very serious legal question. And I'm not a lawyer, but I've definitely watched several shows on television. <laughs> Therefore, you're qualified. That's right. <laughs> at a Holiday, you know, Holiday Inn Express last night, right, Jeff? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but the fact is, it hasn't been tested yet. But you can see where that question comes up, where it's going to be a true legal discussion. And it could fall on either side, most likely against the, the corporation, because they put out the, you know, this device. They said, bring in your own. The liability just isn't clear. Yeah. And, and that's funny. We, we're talking about this in the context of the PC when we talk about BYOD. But this actually does point back to the cell phone as well. If I'm getting my corporate yeah. email on my personal cell phone, did I just give my corporation permission to wipe every photo that I have of my kid that since she started growing up that I have stored on that phone? I believe I just did. And that's a really scary thought. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Is you open the door and you let the business impact how you collect data, what you archive, you let them do any kind of action. That is no longer a personal device. Personal means exactly that. It's my home. It's my house. It's my device. You start telling me how to run that aspect of it. And you now have a level of responsibility. That's why a lot of people, even with the era of uh, smartphones and cell phones, a lot of organizations require folks to carry around two phones for that very reason. Right. Right. I, I, that's actually why I do carry two phones, because I have my work life and my personal life. And I do not want my personal life affected should my work make a decision around software or some other thing that would affect my personal life. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. But, you know, again, we're talking a lot of the context of PC, but device needs to be genericized yeah. as no, we talk right. about this. Uh, Leif, I, I think you're spot on there, right? Because I think based on the device type, there's there's different ways of responsibility that an end user feels about a device, right? I mean, you know, you let most people let somebody see their phone pretty easily, right? And there could be company data on there that could shouldn't be seen, right? But it's not every day you say, here, go, go look at my laptop. But so I think the device does matter because there are certain devices that are companion devices that you're more you're more typical to let someone see use uh, for a short period of time, right? And then goes down to, you know, should you be allowing others to see what's on that device because there's work data on there too? No, you're absolutely right. Someone walks into, and I'm just going to, you know, use the the 20 something club analogy, right? Someone walks into the club. They're like, Hey, I'm hanging out with my friends. Can you take a quick picture of me? And there have been plenty of videos on this on, you know, pick your favorite social media platform where the person will go to take a picture. But what they quickly do is go in and actually text out their phone number to the person who they're taking it from because they're hitting on them. So that's fairly innocent in this uh, context, but they've just used your possibly work device to send data. What if they had sent something else really quickly because they are savvy enough to do it? And it's just a common thing because you're in a club and you just want pictures of you and your friends. So it really does open up the door to all kinds of security threats that most people never even think about. 
Yeah, and you can manage those through through uh, your, your management console. If you have you know a good quality suite of software to manage it, you can actually manage through breaking that the, the device and feel confident you're not going to have a legal challenge or any issues with with personal data as well. Unless you know World of Warcraft is still on that corporate device, then it's okay to wipe that as well. Yeah, I saw some stat around that. I think it was like 30% of the systems surveyed are actually showing some form of gaming software on corporate systems now, which is to be expected with the whole lockdown work from home thing. I am deleting it as we speak. Therefore, Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad you're taking care of that. I, I didn't want to, have to call IT on you. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this, this is, we've covered like a lot of these hopes and dreams of BYOD, right? But I think we've pretty much applied the reality and consequences to the discussion, but Let's talk about who the stakeholders are, though, and who actually makes these final decisions, because we in IT, we're kind of the recipients of these policies. We might be able to give some guidance and feedback, but, you know, if the C-level says go do it, we still have to do it. So who has that final decision-making decision, and who is the one actually giving the guidance on this? Who should be educating the rest of leadership? So, Bruce, I'll throw this to you first. Yeah, this, for me, this is a very easy discussion. This is a security issue. And the decision you're being made is you're allowing non-corporate content into the corporate organization, into the enterprise. And that's security 101. And everybody has input into it, you know, whether it's IT, HR, you know, leadership, lines of business, and so on. But good luck trying to find a single person to be accountable. That person is the CISO or whatever is comparable to the CISO. Because the important aspect of this is when there is a breach, there has to be implementation. IT will end up owning and implementing, but they're not the decision makers. Uh, the decision maker is the person who allows it, is at a level to approve the support. And again, it's, it's interesting in the dialogues that I've had over the years about BYO with customers and prospects and so on. I, I always say, look, uh, not only is that person responsible, but get it in writing because they are the ones who are making the decision based on input from everybody. But when there is a, you know, when there's a uh, result that is not favorable, you know, all of a sudden we all share the blame for this decision. That's just not the case anymore. This is a very big deal for an organization. Not only does it revolve around the culture of the organization, it is also about the brand. And just like we saw with the pandemic, when the pandemic hit and the quarantines were required, IT pivoted in a nanosecond. And within a week or two, perhaps a little longer, people were all engaged, working from home, collaborating, and so on. If IT got the direction from uh, a leader to go implement BYO, we could do it in a heartbeat. It is not that complicated to do. But all of the unintended consequences and real consequences, there has to be a focal point accountable for for the for the solution to really have the impetus to work. What do you guys think? I, no, I agree, Bruce. I, I think we go back to a very simple statement we make quite often is every IT decision is a security decision, right? And, you know, we have data that goes back to, and we'll, we'll go to commercial devices for a second. When there was a mass exodus to get everyone home during the pandemic, you know, there were data threads that, threads that said um, there were more attacks to end users' homes trying to, trying to attack commercial data because, you know, attackers knew that end users were home. And those are typically weaker network systems, right? And those are still protected systems, 
Um, and so when you look at a device that's BYOD and you most likely doesn't have some of the, the, the security rigor that a commercial device has, there's even a higher chance of those systems being attacked and data being lost. I think, I think it's a very simple thing that I, all IT decisions now and moving forward because of the nature of technology, the baseline is a security decision. And if you can't protect it, control it, manage it, and update it, it's not a wise decision. Absolutely agree. Jeff, um, thoughts on uh, one final thing on the financial side of this, and this is more personal finance, possibly. Uh, if a company were to give out stipends or money to go buy a PC to bring that PC in, who and how is the ownership and the accounting done for that? Is that seen as uh, part of their pay? Is it seen as a gift? Or, you know, I'm going to call on you because you're a, a guy or a guy who's actually seen some law shows. Oh, I've, yeah, I've seen a few <laughs> law shows. <laughs> the thing is around that is that the question has got to be decided. And again, back to the point that Bruce made, it's not just one person's decision. HR and, and legal has got to be involved in that discussion as well because you're potentially taking your IT budget, which would be a budget for assets and, and sending it over to your users and, and the IRS may see that as income. And I'm not entirely clear on how that would, would show up. But another aspect of that though, is how much do they get? You know, if your cost of your system is $1,200 and you have a three-year refresh cycle, that's $400 a year. Do you give the, the user $400 uh, towards a new system as a stipend every year? Do you do it every three years? How, how does that work out? What if you're transferring from one organization to the next? How does that translate into a stipend? Does that change? And then, you know, if you get $400, you're going to spend $400 on a system and you're not going to get a very powerful system. It's not going to be of a high quality, so it'll be more susceptible to breakage. We, you know, we covered that earlier in the discussion and it may not have those security features that you need to have in the, in, in the piece. So you're really, I guess, cutting off your nose to spite your face if you go down this path. So many open questions around equity, around how that's going to be spent and then overall trying to manage the system and keep your customers and data secure. Yeah, and actually, you just brought up a really good point with the equity side of things. So access to good internet service and or things like that are also impacted financially for a lot of people. Some areas don't have uh, the same access that others do and the part of the country they're in. So that's another big part of this evaluation that has to be done is if I'm going to force all of this on my end users, can I count on them to go and buy what they actually need? Or can they even afford it up front? Or as, if, as you said, you know, you take that, you split a cost over three years, they're going to still have to go buy, you know, a thousand dollar system, but you're only giving them 400 per year. So they're going to have to budget for that. Yeah, Leif, and I think it goes to what you just mentioned a few seconds ago. Do they have what I need? So we're really only focused with a stipend in this conversation on the device, right? We all know in the traditional compute world that you get a device, you'll get a monitor, you get your peripheral stacks, right? To support your, your workload typically. And so then, you know, it comes down to if you're bringing your own device, are you forcing individuals to go bring their own peripherals, right? And own support system around that. Or is that included in the stipend? Or is that something that IT is still offering as a solution from them too? Yeah, definitely. And how do they set all that stuff up? Because that's something else that we take for granted. You know, the four of us, we're all IT guys, right? So for us, each of our home networks are probably more complex than they need to be, but we do it for reasons, right? All of my stuff is outside my firewall for my work things, because I want to make sure that my VPN is always on and I'm always connected to the corporate network there. All of my IoT stuff sits outside of my firewall and all of that, those behaviors, the average person out there 
is not going to have the knowledge to set up their networks properly to get this done, which means now they have to hire someone if you have standards around this. And that's more money that they have to spend. And that's actually hitting them, not even hitting the company side of this thing. So the company is deferring costs onto their users, which is another bad situation. Yeah, Leif, I'm not going to hire somebody to do that for me. So I'm just going to sit well, and here most people with, won't. With, no, with all my switches on the same network I'm talking to you on, just right. like I am today. And cross my fingers, hope the bad guys don't find them. Yeah. So, yeah, but it is a found real risk. So, we know where you live. It is a real risk, though, that we need to consider when we're looking at this BYOD stuff. So, and this leads me yeah, to the absolutely. other cost of the line of business. And the line of business is a major uh, decision maker in this process, but the cost and the need for chargeback is also something that has to be looked into. And it shouldn't just be for the BYOD world. It should be for the day-to-day, if my corporation owns the device world as well. What is each line of business paying the IT group for the services that are provided or are they even understood? And this is another part of the discussion. Yeah, that's a fair question. And I think the way uh, you need to look at it is uh, just take an example of the service desk. Is what's the service level on a BYOD device? By definition, that has to be no, no SLA. You're on your own. And that means you can't call your service desk for support. You're going to have to go to a retail outlet or to your friends and family for support. For most end users, that's not acceptable. From a corporation, given the fact that there may be commingled business and personal areas uh, on the PC, uh, you, you don't want it to go to a retail establishment that can look at it. And, you know, that's the fundamental building block, if you will, of BYOD is once you start asserting and you're going to provide them support, for example, through help, help desk, and let's just say it's even best effort, you're now supporting a personal device with an SLA. You are now accountable for the care and feeding of that device because you're offering support. I'll give you a, a quick example. One of the questions that I always get asked when we talk about BYOD is, uh, you know, how many BYOD devices do you have in your organization? Well, first question is, how on earth do you know if it's not your device, right? That means you're asset tracking personal devices. And another one of those weird answers, because that means you're tracking personal activity. And that's the whole opposite. It's kind of like the Seinfeld episode where you're looking at do just the opposite of what you're saying. BYOD is basically saying I'm exiting the product business and the application business, and I'm deferring it all, including security countermeasures, as Cody indicated, to the end user. But what we do by our actions is just the opposite. We kind of start a little bit of, well, we'll help you here, we'll help you there. That's not BYOD. BYOD is a line in the sand that says it's your system, not mine. And I can't give you anything other than raw high-level guidance I'm not going to provide you tools. I'm not going to provide you the level of details because at that point, it is a corporate device. I'm influencing. Yep. Am I off base, guys? I think you're right on on that, um, honestly, because the user does lose control of it. The moment a corporation specifies any level of security compliance or controls that have to be put in place that are outside of that end user's control. Well, I think it's some more simple than that. I think they lose control as soon as they're mandated to install anything to do their job. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. True. Okay. Good deal. All right. So um, covered a lot here today. So as we wrap up here, um, 
I know this was a little longer than our usual podcast, but it's okay. It's a really important topic that, again, keeps coming up. So many companies keep wanting to do this BYOD thing, and we really do run into the same problems every time. Compliance with different industries is one of the biggest factors that stands out as an obvious blocker. So think your HIPAA and or uh, SOX compliance and any guidelines built into those that you must comply with and now force on your end users. Um, so I'm actually going to go around the horn on this and we're each going to give kind of a go or no go on BYOD. And I'm going to go ahead and throw mine out there first. Uh, so I'm actually against BYOD. While there's any applications that run locally or any security requirements that an organization would put on their end users' devices, or if there's any risk of users losing personal data because that device has to be wiped by an organization. So that's me. Um, we'll revisit this, I'm sure, when we go to 100% cloud native in some X number of years in the future. And it'll probably still turn out to be the same answer from me. Bruce, are you for or against BYOD? Right now, I would have to say I'm against it. And main reason is, to quote Cody, there's been a 600% increase in phishing attacks for people in home office. And if you're on BYOD, you're a very convenient target. So for that reason, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, a no vote on that. All right. Cody, let's hear about you. Yeah, it's simple for me. Like what Bruce said, security is a big part of how I think. But I, I think even the bigger part of is um, there's, there's just so much going on when it comes to BYOD. There's too many levers, too many things to pull, too many unknowns. And I think with IT, the last thing we want is unknowns. And for that, I'm against it. All right. Last but not least, Jeff, for or against BYOD and what is your major influencing point? I'm 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 not for it. I'm against it. I think that BYOD is a nice marketing term for shadow IT. And shadow IT by definition is loss of control, loss of security. It's a risk to the business. It's a risk to the customer, to the user. It's not a good deal for anybody. Perfect. Good way to wrap that up. Once again, I'd like to thank my panel for discussing this topic today, and I really hope all of the listeners out there found this insightful. Hopefully, it gives you the information you need to make decisions for or against BYOD for your organization. You obviously hear our stance, uh, but take into account your own standards and see, you know, does it make sense? Or did we just highlight some things that maybe uh, require a little additional attention or caution before implementing as always, there's a white paper alongside this episode, so it has some good data points if you're looking for a little bit more on this topic for your organization. Please tune in next time where our next episode will be covering personas and user segmentation and the positive impact on the end user experience, as well as being able to plan properly for the right systems to choose and how often to replace them. And until next time, on behalf of Bruce, Cody, and Jeff, this is Leif signing off, and we'll talk to you again on the next episode of The Razor's Edge. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Razor's Edge podcast series, brought to you by CIO.com in partnership with HP. This podcast series is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or you can subscribe by going to CIO.com slash podcasts slash The Razor's Edge. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated, doing businesses foundry in association with our sponsor, HP.